0: Trail Correspondence is brought to you by Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. Their packs carry comfortably, their roomy shelters protect in harsh weather conditions, and the trekking poles are some of the lightest on the planet. Gossamer Gear is changing the perception of delicate ultralight gear. You'll be hard pressed to go too far down any long trail without running into a Gossamer Gear backpack whether it be the 60-liter Mariposa, 40-liter Gorilla, or 36-liter Kuma. Regardless of whether you're new to backpacking or already have thousands of miles under your belt, there's a Gossamer Gear pack for you. As for shelters, Gossamer Gear's The One tent is both lightweight, weighing in at less than 21 ounces, and roomy, with a 19.5 square foot interior and large vestibule. It's an ideal shelter solution for long distance backpackers. For those hiking as a pair, the two offers a 29 square foot interior at less than 29 ounces. You can also find a slew of useful backpacking accessories, including the LightFlex hiking umbrella, which is effective for both sun and rain, nylon stuff sacks, waterproof pack liners, fanny packs, and much more. And good news, listeners of Trail Correspondence can score an awesome deal on Gossamer Gear products. Use code TC15 for 15% off your cart at gossamergear.com. That code again is T as in trail, C as in cat hole, and the number 15. Don't wait, this code is only good for a limited time. Get it. Trail Correspondence is also brought to you by Appalachian Trials and Pacific Crest Trials. If you're planning for an Appalachian Trail or Pacific Crest Trail thru-hike, or know someone who is, these books are a must-have resource. While other tools prepare hikers for the logistical part of a thru-hike, they fail to ready hikers for the most difficult aspect of a half-year backpacking trip, the psychological and emotional struggle. Appalachian Trails and Pacific Crest Trails are both written specifically to ready a hiker's mind for this life-changing journey. I've received countless messages, emails, and personal thanks from former thru-hikers who have cited one of these two books as a key to their success. Whether you're planning for a thru-hike, are on the fence of whether you want to commit to one, or are supporting a loved one on the trail, these books have proven to be an invaluable resource time and time again. Check out the show notes
1: for direct links to both of these books. And mosquitoes can outsmart you. They understand the sound of your zipper yes. uh, for your tent, so they swarm you when you get out. You
2: can't outwalk them. You can't
1: outwalk them. <laughs> it is a miserable experience.
0: back to trail correspondence presented by the Trek. i am your host zach badger davis today's show brings us our final wild card episode given the timing of this episode near the end of our correspondence journeys there's a lot of reflection on the miles in the rearview mirrors we also hear some advice about maintaining a relationship on the trail sober hiking hiking with a fishing rod trail etiquette and much more These episodes have been a listener favorite in the past. This one will be no exception. Here it is.
3: Hey everybody, it's Frozen coming at you from Shaw's Hiker Hostel. And today we got a wild card, so I figure... One, I'll get really wild with this and throw in another person. I'm also going to introduce my buddy and Tramley member, Marika. Say hi.
4: Hey, how's it going, everyone?
3: Uh, You guys have heard him in the past, so uh, we'll just get right into this. We decided that we're going to talk today about trail etiquette. And I know, don't roll your eyes. It's so boring. But there's a lot of things that just people aren't getting. Yeah. And we've been on the trail for about 125 days almost and we've just kind of adjusted to this normal lifestyle and we've just noticed some things about it. So um, I think the biggest etiquette that you could possibly do and something we've noticed that's been happening a lot more is we're seeing tents inside of these shelter lean-tos. Yeah. Um, I am a person that likes to spend the time in the hammock, you know, away from the shelters. But, you know, America, every time, you know, so- sometimes we get lazy and we just want to set up in the shelter.
4: Oh, for sure. Uh, And, you know, the shelters, you know, at least on the AT, it'll have a recommended number amount of people, 6, 12, however many. Um, And the general guideline is that you take up as little space as possible so that you can fit in, you know, however many need to get in because they don't have a shelter because it's raining or, you know, whatever. And so when you start setting up tents, you're obviously increasing your footprint in the shelter and not allowing as many people. Um and the other part to me is that the shelter is there to help protect you from the elements. Right. <laughs> and so it's sort of redundant setting up a tent with a, especially
3: with a rain fly like right. don't if you're going to set up the tent just for the bug protection, you know, don't put the poles in it. You know, take up a small footprint like we're saying. So yeah. uh another big thing, dogs. Now, I have a beagle at home. I love him to death, but I always keep the little guy on a leash. Some people just are afraid of dogs and seeing a dog charge at you, especially as a thru-hiker that has had friends bitten and hospitalized this year. Uh, you know, it's it's scary seeing a German shepherd run at you and then, you know, usually they just lick your hand, but you know, right. sometimes that's a big deal to people. So please for goodness sakes, keep your dog on a leash no matter how and, well behaved.
4: And and I would say that That is true whether it's on trail or in camp. Yes. Uh, Because, again, regardless of how well-behaved a dog is or how friendly it is, some people have allergies, some people have phobias. Um, And the other thing is I've seen super well-behaved dogs not be super well-behaved around other people's food. Uh, Right. You know, especially when that dog is also hiking however many miles. Um, so it just becomes a nuisance to other campers and hikers.
3: When we first entered Maine, we actually had that dog come up and bark at you, and you didn't know what to do. Remember that? a yeah, couple that days was, ago. That like was it was really vicious annoying. almost.
4: It, it was. Um, and you know, the guy, to his credit, was trying to call the dog back to the shelter, um, which is another portion of the whole dog thing. Um, to me, if you're going to you know come backpacking and camping with your dog, you should probably just assume that you're going to be in a tent the whole time. Um, again, even if there's space in the shelter, people have allergies, phobias. You know, dogs tend to gravitate towards food, um, mm. stuff like that. So it's just common courtesy um, to go ahead and set up your tent or hammock or whatever um, if you are traveling with your pet. I totally agree. And on kind of the
3: same topic, there is this hiker midnight, this quiet time. Most hikers, especially through hikers, we prefer to be in bed and asleep by around nine o'clock and just having people listening to music and being loud and raunchy and just kind of absurd. It it wears on you the next day. I mean it's it's more of a a nice gesture to do, not really an etiquette thing, but you know, we would appreciate that.
4: Yeah, and and I'm gonna go ahead and throw this out here. This does not we're not trying to you know necessarily pick on you know section hikers or weekenders. We've seen this from through hikers, section hikers, day hikers. Um, it's just you know trying to get the etiquette out there of you know how to go about being around other people out in the woods
3: exactly. Also giving out unasked for advice.
4: Yeah, <laughs> please
3: don't tell the through hikers that, oh man, you're gonna die tomorrow because it's all uphill. Say, <laughs> Hey, you have a great view coming up. You know, something, yeah, something simple like that.
4: Um, also, along with that, projecting your fears. So you know just because you're not super comfortable hiking in you know the rain or through a whole lot of mud or you know technical terrain. Um, it's okay to you know, warn people that that stuff is coming up, but you know, try leaving out the I wouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, all that sort of stuff.
3: Right, and around the 9 o'clock range as well, you want to switch to your red light on the headlamp so you don't blind other sleeping hikers. That's going back to quiet time though.
4: Yeah, Uh, particularly if you're one of those hikers that comes into camp late, you know, he's hiking long miles or whatever the case may be. Try to use your red light, please. Yeah. Um,
3: Another thing, and this is some personal to me and you, because we're both hammock campers. Sometimes you sleep in shelters, but sometimes you hammock. I personally, I think you do this too, I've noticed you do Mm -hmm. this, but we try to set up our hammocks in a place where a tent couldn't be so we're not wasting space in the shelter area or at the stealth site or whatever. So you hammock users out there, try to pick you know, a slope section or a rooty section or rocky. Don't, don't take the most pristine flat spot in the shelter.
4: Absolutely, or, or at the shelter site.
3: Right, and then finally to wrap this video up because we're getting pretty much on the time limit right now, people that snore. There are some people like me, I just, I wake up if an insect crawls underneath my hammock at this point. So <laughs> snoring does bother me a little bit. You know, it, it's, it's a nice gesture if you know you're like a chainsaw snorer. Try not to spend time in the shelters. I know it's asking a lot, but it does help that one person get a great night's sleep. Anyway, I'm Frozen. I'm Merka. And thanks for listening. See you in the next one.
5: everybody, it's Catherine Rudzitas, a.k.a. Manhattan, and I am at mile 2183, which, yes, that gives me nine miles more till the summit of Katahdin, which I am hitting tomorrow. So excited. One of the things I wanted to talk about on the trail that was, of course, totally new to me and unexpected was getting together with someone on trail, how to navigate that, the difficulties we faced, how we were able to go through some of them. Because I'm sure it happens to other people every year. And again, not something I expected at all, but definitely worth mentioning. Um, About two weeks into the trail at Gooder Grove in Franklin, which will always have a little soft spot in my heart, I ended up meeting Hops, who would go on to hike the entire rest of the trail with me. Um... I had not expected to meet anyone out here. Neither had he. We'd both been in pretty long-term relationships that ended a few years before. And we're we're certainly not looking to get into anything again. But sometimes when you're not expecting it, life happens. So we were hiking all with the same trail family for, I'd say, six weeks or so before we ended up talking to each other and figuring out what we were going to do about this. And that's one piece of advice I I would definitely give to anyone meeting anyone on the trail in a more serious fashion don't like make sure you don't forget about your wider trail family and the relationships you have with them I mean these are people that you're hiking with all the time that will be in your life forever so definitely try to keep a balance between the new person in your life and the group that you're with I've certainly tried to um, sometimes easier said than done but I would say that's really important There's lots of relationships being formed out here. So we were hiking with the same family for a while. Eventually talked to each other, figured out what we were going to do. And then the next day, it was time to send home a tent and move in together and deal with all of that stuff right away. So I would definitely say relationships on the trail can be a bit compressed. Just because, you know, you're living out here, working together. Everything is all kind of happening at the same time, so I certainly would never have expected anything like that to happen with me. Like, I've I've never lived with anyone before, and a 27-square-foot tent is certainly a, a way to get to know people very well. I would say one of the useful things has been weight savings in general. There were definitely things that we were carrying two of that we didn't really need, like two tents, two sleeping bags, two stoves. So that was definitely something that was useful, being able to cut down a lot of weight early on in the trail. That certainly helped my pack out. One of the things that's been a bit harder has been, I guess, adjusting to different hiking styles and paces and when we want to walk and when we want to stop. Like I'm 5'5". Um, Eric hops or Eric is 6'2". Uh, and pretty lanky so I looked once, I do about 10,000 more steps a day than he does, which is a lot more steps. (laughs) And that's just to cover the same mileage. So I would say I, I hike at a consistent two mile to two and a quarter mile an hour pace, unless the terrain's really, really great or really terrible. And hops can easily, he can do three, three plus. So he's certainly had to slow down for me. And I've often felt like I can't really take the breaks that I would want to, and I just need to keep going to make sure we hit our targets. Now, some of those targets we've set up for ourselves by planning a couple of vacations after the trail. We're going to the beach with someone from our trail family and then going to Peru to hike Machu Picchu. So some of that stress has been kind of artificially placed on us by ourselves, which is kind of unfortunate, but there's nothing you can do. like That's how the timing needed to work out. But I would definitely say if if you and your potential partner have very, very different hiking paces, one of you is going to have to speed up and one of you is going to have to slow down and neither of you are going to be quite comfortable. So that's something that you'll certainly need to get used to. I would also say we don't necessarily hike together during the day. It depends on the terrain. If I know it's going to be a really tough day, I'll often listen to my terrible pump up playlist and then... Eric will wait for me at the top of whatever ranges we're doing so he can get up there at his pace. So I would definitely, like, don't feel like you need to spend all your time together because you have all day and all night because you're out here with these people for months. So I I definitely like the time apart. And I'm an introvert, so is he. So trying to get those moments when we can be by ourselves is, of course, tough out on the trail, but definitely important and probably something we should have been doing more of. Um, some of the other things that have been useful have been kind of food and supplies. If someone's running out, um, <clears throat> someone's running out who's not me because I'm always prepared. <laughs> the other person usually has extras of things or a couple of extra snacks or things like that. So that's a, that's a huge bonus, but not, sp- that's something that you can get with kind of anyone in your trial family, not specifically a romantic relationship. Although, it depends on how close you are to your family. Some people may not be willing to share food unless they really have to. That's about all. I would say those are some of the the biggest things. It has been so challenging, but so rewarding to meet someone out here on the trail. I think it would be incredibly difficult to come out here on the trail with a partner already. Just because of the strain it puts on any relationship. Um, And especially... You know, you never know how hard the trail is going to be. So I I would definitely be hesitant to come out here with someone. But I think that meeting someone out here, I know that we can get through basically anything after this. I mean, I can't imagine, other than you know, some tragic scenarios, anything that would be harder to go through than the trail. So it certainly lets you see everything about a person very, very quickly. You see them at their best, at their worst, often within 15 minutes of each other. So... There's no way to get around being your authentic self out here, and that's helpful when getting to know someone so quickly. So I hope that's helpful. Um, Again, didn't expect anything like this to happen to me, but who knows, maybe it'll happen to someone next year. I hope so. Uh, That's all from Manhattan, signing off. Bye. Bye.
6: Good morning, this is Moron Coming to you actually Still from Monson, it's a day after I made the last Clip, the last Um, recording So it's actually just, uh July 29th, it's about 7am And um Still in Monson But, uh Doesn't really matter I suppose We elected to take one final zero Following our Nero Yesterday, Mm -hmm. and uh Today, I guess I get to just talk about whatever I want. And as I walk down this little gravel road from the Airbnb where we're staying at, sipping coffee, the thing that comes to mind, something I guess I touched on a little bit yesterday, but it's not really <laughs> important to reference that. It's a pretty beautiful scene right now, actually. The sun's coming through the trees at sort of a low angle, <clears throat> so you get that sort of I don't know sunray effect onto the road. I used to think that was god accepting souls up into heaven back when i was a little child um <laughs> but i guess the things i'd want to talk about especially as things do come closer and closer to the end is just uh, you know one more invocation to to really try to do something in your life if you feel led and uh pulled in a certain direction you know uh one of my um one of my crew members, my, my tramley mates, was talking last night about this Kurt Bonnegut, uh creation that I had never heard of. I think it's called Karass. Um And it's like you... It's people who find themselves together uh, doing God's will without even, know that, without even knowing that they're doing it. And out here, I've always kind of, prior to the trail, believed in a certain kind of fate... Just because even if everything isn't necessarily written in stone, all events are sort of cause and effect and can only end uh, one way. They only end up one way. Whether you have a million options or you don't, um, whatever you end up doing is how things shake out. And, um, you know, I think if you want to do something in your life that is sort of off the beaten path, that isn't necessarily something standard along the same track as, like, school, career, family, buying a house, uh, all the things that our society sort of points you toward. If you have some sort of inkling to do something different, such as the Appalachian Trail, uh, I really want to encourage you to really try to pursue it. You know, the most amazing thing about being out here, doing everything that we've done, that I've done, is that you know, the it was so easy. Like, you really just have to show up. Showing up is like, I don't know, 99% of the equation for making things happen. Uh, and, you know, listening to people say things that they wish they had done or wish they could do. Especially when I first decided to uh, hike the trail. And I told family members, friends, coworkers, and everything. A lot of people said that they wanted to do something similar. Like they wish they had traveled after graduating from college instead of going into the workforce or you know some people even went as far as to say that they wish they had done the trail and uh you know it's things can happen you can make them happen um you just have to commit you have to show up you have to put in the work and you have to just keep moving uh and again this morning as I think about what I can say unprompted since there's no actual like Direction for this recording Uh, I think That's like the best Advice Um, a car going by Sounds that I won't be hearing In a few hours for sure Cars going by me as I drink coffee In this fledgling sunlight But yeah, I mean You know, make it happen Just commit and show up (laughs) It's easy I mean, Everything The difficulties will emerge and the challenges will certainly present themselves and i i am lucky to say and i should knock on some wood after saying this that there hasn't been a single day i've woken up out here and asked myself why am i doing this uh or in the midst of actually hiking i've never thought to myself so far i wish i wasn't doing this so let me touch this wood thank you you know illness injury and death at this point are the only things that could make me not finish. Uh, We're so close, put in so much time and effort. Um, You know, uh, it's sort of, it's a simplification of a really complicated uh, but easy decision to originally hike the trail. Um, I feel like I'm rambling, which I guess is sort of the point. Um, But yeah, just one final uh, thing to consider, I suppose, for me before I actually get off the trail. You know, I haven't regretted this at all. It's been one of the best, if not the best, and the hardest thing I've ever done. And, you know, it's a shame if you, listening, have something that you would like to do, even if it's not the trail, and you don't jump on it. Because time is short. It goes faster as we get older. It's the most precious commodity. And, uh, you know, you really got to kind of take control of it every once in a while otherwise the fear of it actually passing you by might become a reality so with that before I go off the rails and start talking about stuff that is completely unapplicable inapplicable to um, (laughs) the actual uh, like uh, theme of what this show actually represents I suppose I'll leave it there from Monson, Maine still Uh, this is Kenneth Pereira moron checking in one final time and I suppose the next clip will actually be uh, either from Katahdin or afterwards um, so yeah uh, don't like to give advice to people because I don't like to get advice but you know if, if you're waiting for someone to give you permission or to you know uh, be on your side and be an advocate for something like that an adventure uh, consider this one little push and with that, uh, I will leave you and come back to you further down the trail. Bye for now.
7: Hey, this is Zach Winsell. Uh I'm checking in about eight miles outside of Stevens Pass, So I'm in my last 300 miles of the PCT, and today I am standing next to a pond with uh, a friend of mine that I met while I was in the Sierra. We actually came down Mount Whitney together and then summited Forester together. His name is O'Baby, and O'Baby, what are you holding right now?
8: I'm holding an eastern brook trout that I just pulled out of this pond. (laughs) Um, Let's see if we can make um, make a noise. Nope. Fish
7: don't make noise. So we're going to let them go. So we're doing a little catch and release right now. Yeah. Now, uh yeah, I guess I wanted to talk to you today because you are the only person I've met on trail, aside from one other couple that is carrying a fishing rod. Um, the other couple picked up one in Northern California where it's just like a little kid's rod, and I don't think they've yet to catch anything. Oh, <laughs> But you've had one as long as I remember. Have you been carrying it the whole trail?
8: No, I got it in the uh, Kennedy Middle South, kind of along with my bear can and my ice axe. Um, because really there were probably two or three bodies of water you could have fished in the desert. So. <laughs> that's a good point. So 700 miles is a long way to carry a fishing rod for nothing. Um, but yeah, I got it for the Sierras in particular because that's kind of the place I was most excited about fishing.
7: And uh, were you disappointed when you got to the Sierra and it was 70% snow? (laughs) I
8: was disappointed. There was a lot of frozen ponds that looked like they were probably incredible. But as you know, there was plenty of liquid water that we had to cross, lots of streams and outlets. And then a lot of the lakes had started thawing out, so there was liquid water along the edges. So whenever I found an opportunity for liquid water... Um, the fish were there and they were hungry. It was, it was, pretty cool.
7: Cool. So, um, have you been a fisherman, uh, as long as you can remember? Is this something you picked up from your mom or dad or?
8: Oh yeah. Totally picked it up from my dad. Been fishing most of my life. Uh, so that was kind of started the trail with the knowledge that I was going to get a fishing rod in the Sierras. Cool, was man. something I really wanted to do.
7: So if someone was planning to do that themselves, first off, um... This seems like a really cool setup you have it's a fly rod and it packs down to the size of like a folded up tent pole maybe yeah i want to
8: say it's uh 21 inches long it's it's actually i guess technically it's a 10 car rod which is basically like a fly rod without a reel okay and it's got a fixed line instead of um you know being able to cast more or less line out.
7: So why did you decide to bring that one in particular?
8: This is kind of like as minimal as you can go. Um, I want to say the rod
7: itself weighs like three ounces. So it's the typical backpacker trying to get down base weight.
8: Exactly but uh, one of the things I've found about it also is really nice uh, not having to deal with a reel or stringing the line up every time. It's actually really quick to set up and take down.
7: Yeah I Um, just saw you take it out in a matter of Twenty seconds to mm-hmm. begin fishing, and then catch a fish <laughs> in another yeah, thirty that, seconds.
8: That doesn't always go <laughs> that way, but uh, it's, uh, it's 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 pretty good.
7: So, is there like any special permitting you need like throughout the trail to carry a fishing rod with you, or is it pretty relaxed?
8: Um, that's a that's a great question. So, I bought a fishing license for California. Oh. Because that's where I was excited about fishing, uh, and it was quite expensive because I bought the season. And how much was it? It was 130 bucks, and so obviously I was pretty committed uh, and wanted to do it. It's, I mean, I'll say I never got checked. I mean, <laughs> you know, we didn't see a lot of people, but I'm the kind of person who doesn't feel too bad about paying for that kind of thing just because mm-hmm. it goes towards conservation and enforcement of uh you know limits and things like that but it is expensive it's a little bit prohibitive um and like oregon for example i didn't want to pay for it and there's quite a lot of nice lakes in oregon and i just i skipped fishing in oregon
7: and what about washington
8: uh washington i already owned a license yeah um because i live in washington state but i probably you know i probably would have gone for it um, the nice thing about Oregon and Washington is you're only, you know, at the end of your hike, you're hiking pretty quick, uh, unless you take a lot of time for fishing. <laughs> but uh, you may only be in there for a couple weeks in each state, so you you don't necessarily have to buy a season license. You could buy a 10-day license or something cool. and fish a couple of days, you know. Yeah.
7: Um, well, cool, man. You know. uh, I guess the last question I have in typical... Uh, backpacker radio fashion, um, is how did you get your trail name, Oh Baby?
8: Oh, okay. Oh Baby is a thing that I was saying a lot early on (laughs) in trail. So whenever I was excited about anything, you know, a new view or, uh, you know, a hamburger in front of me, it'd be like, Oh Baby. (laughs) And so I guess, like, if I catch a fish, you know, it's like, Oh Baby. There you go. And now, at the end of trail... It's a lot of like standing up, and you're aching and sore, and it's more like, oh <laughs> baby, so
7: yeah. By that logic, um, <laughs> I should have been named Holy Cannoli. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, 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 that's kind of my catchphrase. Right on. Anyways, thank you for uh, indulging me. Yeah, and, no problem. Uh, yeah, uh, I will catch you, listeners, a little down the trail when I've finished it. Actually,
8: was, was that a pun? catch you listeners
7: oh shit that's a fish <laughs> <laughs> all right adios
9: hello friends this is flamethrower and it's day 172 of my through hike i'm at pct mile 2275 that means that i have less than 400 miles to go to get to canada i will be hiking today into white pass um it's in the morning and not sure if you can hear the pitter patter of the rain it's uh been raining constantly for at least two days um there was a break uh a couple of days ago when I got back on trail after an unplanned Nero in Trout Lake, I ran out of uh, my lighter fluid and I needed to cook my food because I tried the cold soaking and it was gross. <laughs> so just the thought of three more days of that did not appeal to me, so I just wanted to take this last wild card episode to check in with. All of you and let you know where I'm at, um, not only location-wise, but also uh, emotionally and and uh, how I'm approaching these last miles, this last section. Getting into Washington State was so amazing. I had um, felt such a feeling of, of relief and that I had already accomplished something. I have two states down. and just got one more to go. And from Cascade Locks, I've been hiking solo. And I think it, um, it it springs from my desire to really take the time and think about whether, you know, I've been hiking the hike that I want. Um, uh, just create that space for me to, to um, think about, you know, what, Life is going to look like after the trail. Not that I have those answers, but I do want to spend some time thinking about my options, and um, and also, you know, just try to work through this this sadness. There's a sadness that that uh, it comes over me when I think about what an amazing experience this has been, and that it has to end there's no prolonging this hike uh, not only because of the weather but because of the nature of the pct itself it has a beginning and it has an end and so you must reach the end um so that's that's what i've been thinking about as i'm hiking in the rain and and um it's been pretty miserable, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it really brought flashbacks of the Sierra, you know, waking up with uh wet shoes and putting on wet socks and and uh everything being pretty much um wet. So but that's what we sign up for, you know, we're through hikers. We are uh tough, we got this far, we can push all the way to Canada so that's what I plan on doing and also I've been spending some time in town working on a little project Uh, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast but I started making these postcards for my family and friends uh, when I started the trail before I left I had two pads of watercolor postcard paper that my friends pre-addressed And so as I've been hiking along, I've been making these postcards for them with uh, landscapes from the trail. And I don't make them in plein air, so I don't make them on site. I take a photo, and then when I get into town, I, uh, I draw and paint from those photos. And, you know, I went through a period in the Sierra where I couldn't carry my kit. Uh, I have this little Altoid tin with little half pans of uh, colors and I have my uh, postcard-sized uh, paper and a couple of pens and a brush pen. So that's what I've been using to make my postcards and you can check out uh, my Instagram at Outdoors. That's J-A-Z-M-I-N outdoors. I usually post photos of the postcards that I send out. So you know, with the end of the hike, so will be the end of this project. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy that I made the effort to to do it because it's something that kept me creative. And I know that from talking to other hikers, uh, at least one wishes that she had also brought some means to paint and, and draw along the trail. So that's my piece of advice to anyone who wants to through hike and has a, a creative uh, impulse is to find a way to do it. Um, if you can you know you can bounce supplies ahead or instruments if you're a musician but um, I, I know it's something that's added a lot to my experience so that does it for my last wild card I like I said am in Washington State in the rain and the next time I check in. We'll be hopefully at the northern terminus in Canada. Ah, so excited! Until then, flamethrower signing off.
10: Hello, everyone. This is Kartik and Adendla currently reporting from the mile 2570 on the trail i'm at the lake Chalon resort the recreation area which is in stack and Uh, So the thing is I'm supposed to do this recording at least a week or two before but honestly I've been so stressed out and I was literally running every day on the trail from sunrise to sunset and that's exactly what my topic is going to be today on the episode as well. I want to talk about the stress on the trail. So coming to myself ever since I we entered Oregon. I was so happy, actually. Or, but the thing is, Oregon went so quickly, just like that, in a lightning flash, because we were doing big mile days—35, 36 miles every day—is the average we've done, and. It was, it was over before we even knew it. And we had no mosquito issues as well. And people were happy that we went to Oregon because California took forever and going to Oregon was an accomplishment in itself. And then again, going to Cascade Logs, to the Bridge of the Gods, it was huge. That's where my emotions were raw. I felt really good getting out there. You know, I was like, I made it all the way without any pressure. I was like, yeah, we did it, guys. But ever since we went to Cascade Locks, it was raining every single day. And today is the third day in Washington where it's not raining on me right now. So I'm actually sitting outside next to the lake under the sun doing this recording, which makes me happy. So people, whenever I talk to them, they're really concerned that they would get to Canada in time as if there's a huge deadline, which there is a deadline here just like a pro- corporate project you're working on and you got to deliver your product by so and so timeline and you know if you don't then it's not worth it blah 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 things like that And that kind of stresses out it's kind of like a huge rat race happening here on the trail and people just started running it's like my friend Mason known as matrix on the trail asked me one day so on a scale of whatever to John Muir how much do you actually appreciate the trail and i think that was a really good and important question because majority of the people who set out to be here out on the pct including myself I'm, I, I can i speak for myself but i just like i can i only talk about the observations that i have personally have and the opinions i personally built looking at others right so it's like most of us who come here just look at it as a personal accomplishment as some kind of wilderness status quo or something and we don't really yes we do appreciate the trail it's beautiful it's breathtaking it's awesome but on a scale of John Muir, i don't think any of any of us like are at that scale to appreciate the trail at the moment because the biggest thing is getting to the final goal the end product that's the ultimate victory for everyone it's not just the journey you know like but i think the journey is what makes it more memorable i have nothing for me waiting at the northern terminus there is no pot of gold there is no treasure there is no medal there is no cash prize like there's no people waiting for me to cheer me on like in Kennedy Meadows like there's nothing for me at the Northern Terminus but we crave to get there so badly but in the end when we look back the Northern Terminus is not what we actually think about it's about the entire Journey, the experiences we, we had here, the people we met, the parties we had there, you know, like everything combined together is what makes this awesome. So I don't understand exactly the point of being stressed out. I, But I do, I also do understand at the same time because stress is what actually drives you to get to that finish line in the end. Like if you're not stressed at all, if you're not worried at all, then I think you would be like just chilling. "Ah, I'll go tomorrow. It's not a big deal. But I think stress has its both pros and cons. The only biggest con right here on the trail that I observe is people are overstressed for everything. And that just caught me up too. I... Today my box wasn't delivered in again and I'm just sitting here doing nothing hoping that the box would be delivered before the end of the day. If not then I have to buy the food and then just keep going and spend waste extra hundred bucks for nothing. So, you know all these little things they just add up and then they accumulate compound and that kind of stresses you out in the end. You know like what do you really accomplish when you go to the trail and you're just stressed out most of the time. Like what's the point of it all you know so that's one thing we need to think about being here out on the trail but the uh, the other thing is like it just it just feels amazing to be out here and balancing those both emotions like being stressed okay we need to do like we gotta do 26-28 miles here in Washington and it's raining so 28 miles is not easy and you start hiking at 7 in the morning with cold fingers and then you hike all the way until 8 o'clock and pitch the tent in darkness you know like you don't really spend any time together with your friends at all it's just like doesn't even matter anymore all you got to do is like the miles 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 so that you can get to the northern terminus before the deadline which has both pros and cons like you actually finish the project which not many can do but the only drawback is when you're highly stressed out about it you want to skip some miles and I've seen few people who've done that they're worried about the snow which we have coming in like three days from now they're like we can't deal with the snow we don't have any winter gear and I totally get it I understand I have my fingers freezing to being wet and cold all the time and had to take my stuff out and warm my fingers to you know save myself from uh, frostbite i don't know i'm going to get frostbite or not but there are chances for that as well because freezing temperatures at night you know all those little things but you know in the end it's like just making it to canada doesn't mean anything i think you have to do the whole thing it's fine you can take the stress but use stress to your positive advantage and then use it for your own gains and learn something from it is what i'm hoping to accomplish in the end because i have to say i'm also stressed right now that's all from me today you all kartike and adanla signing off thank you very much
11: This is Carjack here, and I'm um, recording a wildcard episode today. And what I'd like to talk about is hiking while sober. And I think this is kind of a hot topic. I've been, uh, you know, seeing a lot of posts about, you know, so- sober living on Instagram and other social media, and there have been some some really great uh, interviews with people on Backpacker Radio, for example, that... I've talked a lot about sobriety. Um, if you haven't heard it already, Weezer's uh, interview on Backpacker Radio is excellent, and you know, moved me to tears, and uh, and a lot of other people have said the same. So, um, you know, this is this is something that's being talked about and and discussed. And I just wanted to chime in with my experience. I um, I haven't had a drink in three years, and so I, you know, I was admittedly concerned before the hike. Um, not that i thought i would be forced to drink or pressured to drink or anything like that but i just wasn't really sure what to expect i had heard that the culture of thru hikers did involve a lot of drinking especially in towns and you know i'm i feel pretty solid in my own sobriety so i wasn't i wasn't concerned for that reason but i just i was wondering um just how the social dynamic would be for a non-drinker. I don't use any mind-altering drugs, so I just wasn't really sure what to expect. And, um, you know, I, I had... All I had to go on was you know, what I'd heard from other past hikers, but I didn't really know any personally. So I was just going on, you know, what I'd heard on podcasts and seen on social media, um, and blogs and that sort of thing. And, um, and it did seem like there was a lot of drinking and there is, and that's the reality. Um, obviously not on the trail so much, but in town, hikers get to town and people want to let their hair down. They want to indulge in the things that they haven't been able to on trails. So that's a lot of food, a lot of alcohol, drugs, um, you know, that just happens and that's the reality of it and um I knew that but I I don't think you know you can really understand it until you're part of it and so I just wanted to share my experience for those who may be thinking about a through hike or um or really you know anxious about this aspect um you know my my experience because i did part of the trail northbound and part of the trail southbound i found a really big difference between the two especially northbound starting in the desert because there's such a huge amount of people and people are kind of in that party spirit a lot at the beginning and I will say that there were moments that I found it difficult in the desert um there especially in towns um there just was sort of like this atmosphere of getting to town everyone cram into a hotel room buy cases of beer and you know it just it wasn't that I felt pressure to drink I just found it quite exhausting um because I don't spend a lot of time around drinkers in my regular life and so pretty early on within the first few weeks I just learned that that atmosphere was not for me and even if my hiking friends and hiking family trail family was doing that in town it just was better for me to either get my own hotel room or split a hotel room room with one or two other people who didn't drink just to be able to have that um, you know, spend time with the group. And then when things were getting out of hand or when I felt kind of overwhelmed, I would just have a place to go back to that was quiet and didn't have booze there. And that, that helped me a lot. Um, I just avoided, um, some of the trail angel places, um, you know, Casa de Luna and other places like that. There just was a lot of drinking and I just needed to recognize when I was getting a bit overwhelmed and tired of it and just kind of excused myself, spent time in my tent. Um, I remember Kennedy Meadows at the end of the desert was, um, one of the times I found it the most challenging. I was sitting, eating dinner at the general store and someone just like sat down beside me with an entire bottle of whiskey and just started downing it. And I, you know, I totally understand and trust me, I've been there. Um, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't sit there beside a guy, chugging a bottle of whiskey so I just you know went to my tent and like you know read or listen to a podcast or something and and that's that worked well for me there certainly was lots of opportunities to sort of have quiet time and um so that was the kind of my nobo experience uh the sobo experience I found quite different I think a lot of the sobo hikers were more um I think a little older a little more mature a little less party oriented um not as the huge trail families not the huge parties in town of course there's still with some of that happening but um much much less and um yeah I think the Sobo experience for me felt a little bit a little bit better for me and if I'd if I really was concerned about being around drinking, like certainly doing a Sobo hike would be probably what I would suggest. Um, yeah. Although, you know, it worked fine for me. Um, the other thing that was interesting and I didn't have a full appreciation for was how much trail magic there would be that would be alcohol. Um just i wasn't anticipating the experience of just being alone hiking in the hot desert and coming upon a cooler full of cold beer um and for me that wasn't enough of a temptation but uh, I can totally see how it would be, and uh, you know, if if you're not expecting that, just understand that that will happen, and it happens actually more than you might think. Um, there's also a lot of amazing, generous people who are willing to give hikers free beer, uh, and a lot of even restaurants and businesses along the trail that will, you know, have a free drink or free beer for through hikers, and you know, we're not entitled to anything for free and I, I don't want to, you know, suggest that we are, but I have to say like, sometimes I was a little bit disappointed because, um, you could get a free beer, but they wouldn't have anything that wasn't alcoholic, um, like a free soft drink even. But I mean, again, we're not entitled to anything free, so I shouldn't complain, but, um, For the businesses out there who want to support sober hikers, like having an alternative to alcohol would be really nice. Um, And most of the time when there was like a cooler with, with beer, there often would be soft drinks. So... Thank you very much for people who do that and leave that for hikers because it is really, really appreciated. I became obsessed with, with root beer on my through hike and there were lots of times that there was root beer. Like I had probably three or four times along the, along the trail that, that had uh, cold root beer <laughs> given to me for free. So I totally, totally appreciated that. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing I just want to bring up, I know everyone who, who is sober kind of has a different experience, but, uh, there are quite a few 12 step meetings for those who do that available along the trail. And I heard about people doing that. And so I just wanted to throw that out there that, um, that sort of support seems to be readily available along the trail as well. So yeah, that's sort of my experience with hiking sober on the PCT. It is possible. It's, um, you know, sometimes was a challenge but for the most part for me being out in nature um really is is my best way to feel spiritually connected to the universe (laughs) when i am kind of spiritually connected you know i don't feel like using substances so for the most part i think actually being on the pct has been really good for my sobriety so anyway that's my take uh this is carjack signing off thanks for listening bye
12: Hey guys, this is Julie slash ARC, and I am reporting to you from Mammoth, uh, California. So um, just to kind of give you an update about where I'm at and um, how things are going. So, um, if you remember, my me and a couple of my members of my trail family flipped to Snoqualmie Pass in Washington um, back in June, and we have been since going sobo. So, I've actually done more of the trail sobo at this point than I have nobo. And so, we have to get back to Lone Pine. Um, we have to finish the Sierra and get back to Lone Pine, and then flip back to Snoqualmie Pass and walk north to the border. So, at this point, we have about 460 miles left. Um, and it's early September. So as long as winter does not come too early to the North Cascades, um, we are on track to finish. And I'm really excited about that. I have not missed any miles. um, And so, you know, when I set out to do this, my goal was to do the whole trail. I didn't care kind of what order I did it in. um, So it's kind of crazy to me and overwhelming to think that I might actually get it done. Um, Just unbelievable. Um, Having said that, though, I think that there's not enough said, um, sometimes about people who come out here and, and hike the PCT or hike any long trail and don't finish, you know, maybe they have to miss miles because they get sick or maybe, you know, they have to skip the Sierra because there's snow, or maybe they don't make it to the monument because, um, you know, they just couldn't do that many miles. And I, I think that sometimes, um, You know, people think it's like an all or nothing thing. Like, okay, either I go do this through hike and I make it, or it's going to be a complete, you know, failure. And I I really think that it's important that, you know, that we talk about the fact that you're going to get something out of coming out of here and coming out here, coming out to trail no matter what. And, you know, maybe we should get a little less hung up on, you know, who did exactly what or whatever. So, you know, don't let that stop you. Don't think, okay, well, I don't know that I can do the whole thing. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, I actually, you know, the, I am really excited and I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad that I'm in a position that I might actually get to finish this. But I also realize that the fact that I can might finish it also has to do a lot with luck. It's not, you know, that I'm stronger than anyone else or that I'm better than anyone else. I haven't gotten sick. You know, most of the members of my trail family that have had to miss miles, it's because they've gotten sick. Like, they're puking on trail. I mean, you can't hike like that. Or they've gotten injured. And I actually have a a hiking um, friend who did quit. She went home um, in NorCal. She decided she wanted to leave the trail and then came back. And, you know, so, yeah, she's going to finish and get to the monument and she's going to have missed a section. Um... And I think personally that that required more strength for her to, to admit like, oh, I made a mistake and come back, especially knowing how hard it is. Um, so anyway, I just, you know, I think that sometimes people get hung up on, um, you know, did you do the whole thing or, you know, whatever, all these little details and that it doesn't, you know, finishing the trail is, is amazing and I, I, I hope I get to do it. But I've already gotten so many things out of this, whether um, – whether I actually make it to the monument or not. So um, we are very happy with our t- decision to flip. Um, so we're going to the Sierra right now. We've done the section from Sonora Pass to Mammoth, which was about four and a half days. And now we're going to go from Mammoth to Bishop. This, uh, sorry, Mammoth to Lone Pine. Um, this is an amazing time. September is an amazing time to be in the Sierra. There's like very few mosquitoes. Um, there's no more snow. So that's, you know, that's what we flipped in the first place. The river crossings have been nothing. I mean, we've done we've had to do two wet crossings and they've been like up to our shins. Um, and so right now we're, we're very happy with our decision to flip. Again, it's, it's put us in a position to do the Sierra at a great time. It's also put us in a position to finish the whole thing, um, which was my goal. Um, so, you know, again, some people get hung up on, well, you're not a true nobo or you didn't do it this way. Just remember to do your own thing. Um, you know, the hike your own hike thing gets thrown around a lot. It's almost cliche, um, but it's true. Like, you need to know what's important to you and and stick to that. Um, some other things that I, I just wanted to talk about, you know, um, related to the trail are that, you know, I've come to realize that the trail is not a cure-all. Like, don't come out to the trail thinking it's going to cure, like, whatever issues you have in your home life. I struggle a lot in my my real life with anxiety, and that anxiety has been present on the trail as well. It's not like it's this magical place where those things go away. I have anxiety about different things out here, um, about whether or not I can do the miles I need to or whether logistics are going to work out or whether a bear is going to eat me or something like that. Just kidding. I'm not scared of bears. But, um, you know, like, so, you know, the other thing is, like, like I've lost a bunch of weight, you know, I I I've started the trail very heavy. I've lost a bunch of weight, but statistically it's likely that I'm going to put that weight back on. Like this isn't this isn't a long-term like diet and plan. This isn't a sustainable lifestyle. So, you know, if you if you come out to the trail, you're going to get stuff out of it. You absolutely should to do it, you know, even if you can only do a couple of weeks, you know, like you don't have to be a through hiker to get something out of this. Um but just realize that, you know, it's not going to fix everything in your life. Um, that's kind of another thing that I think that we need to do a better job of in the trail community is, is having respect for people, whether they're doing, you know, 50 miles or the whole thing. Um, I've had some section hikers tell me things like, oh, well, you know, I'm just doing the state of Oregon. And I'm like, don't say it like that. Like, you're, you're going to walk through a whole state. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's still something to be very proud of. And, um, it shouldn't be that, you know, either you're a through hiker or you're just not important or something like that. So, you know, definitely again, don't let the whole, I can't do the whole thing right now, or I'm scared I'm not going to finish, keep you from coming out and having this experience because, um, it's been amazing. So I, um, like I said, I'm on track. We we're, we're kind of racing a little bit, like we're definitely under pressure to get some miles done, but, um, We hope to be uh, to the monument by October 1st. So I hope you guys are all doing great. And um, I will hopefully report in next time close to the end.
2: Hey, guys, this is Allison, a.k.a. Farmer's Market.
1: And this is Eric, a.k.a. Tropicana. And we're the brother-sister team going north on the PCT. And what mile are we at?
2: We are at mile 2459.7.
1: Which is right before Stevens Pass in Washington. Yeah. And we're currently making lunch and taking a coffee break overlooking a lake. It's and beautiful. a rocky, pine-covered jagged peak in front of us i don't know what it's called
2: Uh, i don't think it has a name okay at least it wasn't on the map
1: (laughs) and for today's wild card episode we're gonna talk about um
2: mosquitoes (laughs) our whole oregon experience (laughs) and
1: some of washington and
2: some washington
1: and so like as a direct result of flipping up north skipping the sierras we hit The peak season of mosquitoes in Oregon.
2: And what were people calling that? The hatch. The hatch. (laughs) Um,
1: So we devised a little system to rate how bad mosquitoes get. And it goes on a scale of 0 to 5. So Allison, why don't you start us off with what level 0 is?
2: 0 is no mosquitoes. Like, you sit down, you don't even see a single mosquito. It's a very pleasant experience i love level zero
1: you could make dinner outside you yeah. could sit back and relax
2: yeah yeah you um, you aren't going crazy at all level mm, zero is nice
1: yes so and then level one so currently it's level one where we're eating lunch right now and that is you'll see a mosquito fly by maybe once every two to three minutes and you might get a bite once every 15 minutes which isn't that bad out yeah here. Yeah. On trail. And, like, usually you could get ahead of the mosquito, see it, and kill it. So that's level one. Still tolerable.
2: Yep. You can sit outside.
1: Yeah. You can sit outside.
2: Yeah. Level two. Um, there's definitely more mosquitoes around. You start to consider, eh, should I sit around? Should I put on a head net? But it's not quite the level where you're bothered enough to put on a head net or... Uh, get in your tents but they're definitely getting a little bit more bothersome at level 2.
1: Yes. And level 3. So I'd say level 3 is you see maybe like two to three mosquitoes every minute and you get a bite maybe like every 5 to 10 minutes. I
2: like how you have like numbers oh, like I, I put a lot <laughs> of <finances. laughs> very specific numbers. <laughs> um
1: level 3 is like you need a head net to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. But you could probably leave your limbs and other things uncovered just as long as you're ready to swat.
2: Yeah. Level four, um, I forget, is pants level four?
1: It's all, well, it um, depends who you are, your tolerance. Okay. Yeah.
2: So level four, um, I would say that's definitely like getting your tent for dinner level, um, possibly cover yourself up when you're walking uh, whether that's rain pants which I wore my rain pants a lot in Oregon um, or bug pants which we invested in in Oregon as well Um, very fashionable and not everybody needs this but it's definitely helpful to stay sane Um, yeah I think that's pretty much level four
1: yeah I can see that yeah all right, and level five.
2: Oof, level five.
1: Which is probably what we experience for a good thirty to forty miles, maybe fifty miles in Oregon. Yeah. Um, and this is once you have your tent in the morning, you don't stop. You have mosquito <laughs> net pants. You have a mosquito hat with a wire brim that pushes the net away from your face. Yes. And you don't stop for breaks. You don't look behind you because you'll see the (laughs) mothership dropping off mosquitoes to try to catch you. (laughs) Um, And mosquitoes can outsmart you. They understand the sound of your zipper uh, for your tent. So they swarm you when you get out. You
2: can't outwalk them. You can't
1: outwalk them. (laughs) It is a miserable experience. Miserable. You don't experience any of the nature around you. All you do is focus on the mosquitoes. Can't
2: take pictures. Nope. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
1: um so yeah. we yeah. experienced quite a bit of level five i'd say yeah and if you want to get like creative with it you can kind of do it like rock climbing too and do like that's a 5.2 as <laughs> a 5.4 <laughs> yeah yeah and we'll leave those ratings up to the listeners out there <laughs> um but i just like to say like when the mosquitoes are really bad and they can get super bad on the pct you just keep walking it'll get better it's,
2: yeah yeah Although that's good advice that you probably should have had in Oregon. Like it was, it was mentally yeah, tough. Like yeah. it was hard to keep walking because just keep walking into more mosquitoes.
1: Yeah. I'd say it's the mentally most difficult thing of the trail so far for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's gotten better. Yeah.
1: It's gotten better and trails enjoyable again. We're yeah. sitting outside enjoying lunch. So. We are.
2: Yep. Yeah. All right. All is good now. Yep. All right. Time to get back to coffee and I got mac and cheese cool
1: <laughs> till next time all right
2: bye guys
13: hey there everybody this is siren and i'm checking in from wind michigan back at home in my bedroom where i started all of this <laughs> it's october and I have been off trail since the middle of September. I last checked in around the Mount Adams wilderness, and I only got a little bit farther than that before I decided it was time. I waited about three weeks after my surgery to get back on trail, which, you know, basically everybody except my doctor told me that I was foolish <laughs> for thinking it was enough time Um but I needed to do it for myself, and I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. Uh, this is our last wildcard episode, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about my experience in the last couple of days. I, um, I had my 35th birthday on trail, which was, you know, different than I'd planned. I thought I was going to be with my tramley on my birthday, and I ended up being completely alone. I'd saved a cookie that my friend Phyllis had baked for me a couple of weeks before. um, And it had my trail name on it, and I saved it for that night. And so I made my favorite dinner on trail, and I ate the cookie. (laughs) And that was lovely. Um, But it was different. I usually work on my birthday, but then I'm surrounded by people that I know. And that didn't happen this time. But it was a beautiful sunset. And it was one of the last beautiful sunsets that I encountered because it basically just started raining after that and didn't stop so i um I started in you know with with shorter mileage days day three I did twenty miles, and my body really just started to break down. I was severely out of shape from being mostly immobile for a month and a half. And I knew it would be difficult, um, but I couldn't have expected what was going to happen to my injured knee or how my body would respond to trying to take care of it. So um, I ended up with a lot of pretty severe pain in my rectus femoris quad and my hamstring attachments and um, in my right leg, actually, and then a lot of swelling in my knee and pain and things like that that just uh, no amount of ibuprofen or... um, not actually icing but I used my platypus to um, fill up with really cold water and ice it and it did help but it wasn't it wasn't a proper solution so uh it was very challenging and there's a lot of roads uh in southern Washington at least between Cascade Locks and Goat Rocks and um I had to convince myself on nearly every road crossing to keep going um Which is such a stark contrast. You know, I recorded the mental game episode and talked about how I wanted nothing more than to be out there. And it was such a battle with myself because I wanted nothing more to be out there, but I was also dealing with entirely new circumstances. I was still hurting really badly. I was out of shape, like worse out of shape than I was when I started the trail in general. And I was completely alone. So i pushed my I pushed forward, and I was glad I pushed forward, but then, as I got into goat rocks, it had been raining for days, it was starting to get really cold. I was spending most of the day at about forty degrees. Nothing could dry out because the sun wasn't coming out, and um things inside my tent started getting wet. You know, I had mice chew through my tent and get into my food, and just a lot of little things that started happening that were just making it more difficult to deal with and um And I got to Cispus Pass and had decided there was no way that I could sleep outside for another night. I was really worried about the cold. So I would have had to have walked, I believe, 26 miles to get to White Pass. And I was really worried about Knife's Edge and some other places through that section because of my knee. Um, At the time, I wasn't really able to stand on that leg by itself. I was still very unstable. And uh and then once I exited the tree cover into Cispus Pass, it got really windy and I was just being knocked around and everything started getting really cold. Um and I ran into a group of women who were doing a weekend hike together and one of them, um had done the PCT a number of years ago, uh, And so she was kind enough to give me some time and talk to me about her experience and what I was about to head into. Cause they were hiking southbound and I was hiking northbound. Um, and when she mentioned that there were snow fields still, I, everything in my body just felt terrible. I had not once felt on trail, like I shouldn't keep going until that moment. Um, I'd had mental blocks, of course, where I didn't think that I could do it, but that was the moment where I didn't feel safe moving forward, especially alone. So I asked them if I could hike out with them, and they were taking a local trail down, um, gosh, Sheep Lake, maybe. Uh, so I would have had to have backtracked something like five miles to that trail, and then and then the additional five or so miles to get to their car, which they didn't actually have room for me. But she said, "Absolutely, we'll figure something out." And so I turned around and I hiked out with them. And I mean, my spirits immediately lifted having company. Um, I didn't. I suddenly didn't feel quite as cold. Um, certainly, everything still hurt as bad, and the 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 uh, decline of that particular side trail is pretty intense. So my knees were not happy with me. Um, but I, I got down there and, you know, they, they tried desperately to uh, rearrange the things in their car to get me to fit inside of it. But it was a, it was a five passenger SUV and there were already six of them. (laughs) Um, and you know, shortly after we hiked out, there was a group of hunters that hiked out right after us. We saw a herd of pack goats, (laughs) And then we saw them not far behind and um and one of one of them was heading into Packwood and offered to take me. So I ended up spending the evening with him. Um, you know, he took me to get my resupply box and white pass and then we had dinner and just the kindness again that I was being shown by so many people, it was kind of the perfect way to end everything for me. Um, I checked the forecast the, that morning in my tent because some hikers around me were going to hunker down and try to wait out the rain so they could actually see goat rocks. But it wasn't going to stop raining. (laughs) So we had like a day and a half of sunny weather forecasted a few days after that. Um, So once I got into town, I was weighing my options about waiting it out and hiking backwards into goat rocks southbound so that I could see it. Um, But I got dropped off at, at a coffee shop in Packwood by my new friend and there was something that felt so right about that being the end of my hike. I had just had an incredible evening, you know, getting to know somebody who is nothing like me and has a completely different life experience and had no, you know, why does anybody give us rides or offer us food or give us places to stay or any of it it's just so incredible and i was so thankful for all of it and as he drove away i decided that was it and i started to make arrangements to go home i went back to the place in olympia where i'd stayed for a month um when I had surgery, which was so incredible. I was so thankful to see them. It was so quick. It was like two weeks. Um, But I got to see them again and spend time with them again and uh, started my journey home. So uh, yeah, it was difficult getting back on trail by myself. I'm so glad I did it. I had to push through a lot of physical and mental challenges and I, you know, I got to tell you that almost every single road crossing between Cascade Locks and um Trout Lake, I had to tell myself don't bail, keep going, you know, and weighing sort of <sighs> the decision when things started to hurt really badly, you know, is this is this the kind of pain that you should be experiencing just because you're hiking a lot of miles or is this is this you're doing too much and you're going to hurt yourself further. Um, but one of the things that started happening when I got back out there by myself is that I started to hear my own voice and I realized that I had been making a lot of decisions, you know, on trail before I got hurt, uh, with other people in mind, with my friends and my family in mind. And I didn't have anybody to consider but myself. So I got to make decisions for myself and that was so good for me and i got to the top of a particularly difficult climb you know before the rain started and for the first time since i started walking i felt like i was ready to go home and that didn't happen to me one time on trail prior to that not when i was hurt nothing i i didn't have it was nowhere. The feeling that I needed to go home wasn't there. The feeling that I needed to stay there was there. I was fighting to stay there. And so when I felt that feeling, it was like an overall sense of ease. And I cried because it was so surprising. And I stood there for a couple of minutes and just took in what was around me. And honestly, out loud, I thanked the PCT And I thanked everybody that made it what it was for me on and off trail. And I sort of said, what will be, will be. And so the next couple of days was rainy, cold, difficult, (laughs) but also wonderful because I met these incredible people. I also, because I turned around to backtrack with these women, um, I ran into two of my friends that I hadn't seen since the desert. And I wouldn't have seen them if I hadn't turned around. So it was um, it was great, and it still doesn't feel real that I'm not there. Um, I'm sure in the next episode, I'll probably talk a little bit about what it's like being home, because that is so difficult to explain, but I am so thankful, and I miss it so much. And... I've been watching my friends, you know, finish their journeys and get off trail. Winter seemed to come early this year and kick everybody's butts. And I'm so thankful that everybody that I've seen so far has made it safely. And, um, yeah, I think that's it for now. So I haven't really processed through everything just yet, but I know that this isn't it for me. I don't know that I'll be able to through hike it again, but I certainly want to. And so I'll figure it out from here. But until next time, this is Siren signing up. Bye.
14: What's up, Trekkers? This is Dosu coming at you from mile marker 99.5 away from the Canadian border. So that means I have less than 100 miles to go, which is pretty exciting. I've actually been at this mile marker now for four days. This is the fourth day I've been here in East Glacier. I narrowed in and then took two zeros here and am about to do a small 22-mile day out. As you heard in some of my last podcasts, you know, I have just been taking it easy and going everyone else's pace um, because being with my trail family is really important to me and finishing with them is going to be awesome. That being said, I'm here with two members of my trail fam who are going to contribute to this podcast because they have a lot to really weigh in on this subject. Uh, I got my buddy Akuna and my fam fruit salad with me and what we're going to be talking about is something that's near and dear to me but super important to these two people and they do a lot to raise awareness about it and that is the diversity on uh, trail and trail life in general so what i'm going to do first is pass you off to fruit salad uh, and she's going to have an opportunity to tell you a little bit about what she does and why what she does is important. And maybe give the rest of us some hints on what we can do to be more inclusive to everyone else that we really need to see out here on the trails. So without further ado, here is Fruit Salad.
15: Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, my name's Fruit Salad or Laura. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. And, I, yeah, I, too, am just under 100 miles from the Canadian border. I've um, been on the CDT this year, and I'm super stoked to be finishing up in Alberta, Canada. That's where I'm from. So, yeah, getting to hike home is, yeah, it, it's a privilege, it's a gift, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked to be finishing up this trail And yeah, under 100 miles. So, yeah, last year um, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, and through like my hiking and involvement in the outdoor community over the past like year and a half more so than years previous years in my life um it's made me like really increasingly aware of my own social location as it relates to my own privilege so you know when we refer to social location we're referring to an individual's dynamic amount of privilege or oppression mostly in relation to identity constructs our identity constructs are usually you know externally imposed and socially constructed so association our ability to fit in to constructs such as race um, ethnicity gender ability class religion uh, citizenship status sexual or gender identity and all those accompanying levels of power or lack of power um, that determines our social location so although i identify um, as a queer woman i'm also a cisgendered woman i happen to be of euro canadian descent and so based on my appearance alone. I've been afforded privileges that many other like visible minority groups and underrepresented groups haven't been. It is important that I say, you know, that in my opinion, all privilege is illegitimate. I don't think there's any legitimate form of privilege. And the reason I say privilege is is illegitimate is because it typically equates to one group or one person gaining advantages or opportunity while other people are less likely to experience or I guess, take part or have the same opportunities or advantages. So, Kara Levine, uh, she's a disability activist, one of my favorite disability activists. Um, she's disabled herself. She's a very proud disabled woman. And her definition of privilege is quite simply, privilege is not having to think about privilege. So, regardless of the space or the community that we're living in, um, I really believe we all share this responsibility. It's often overlooked to be aware of our own privilege, even though sometimes it's painful to do that, and to examine the ways that our privilege impacts others, both, you know, both negatively and, you know, potentially positively. So collectively, you know, the social responsibility, uh, it's vital for us to create safer and more inclusive spaces for minority and disadvantaged groups. um, And not only you know, in the context of the hiking and the the outdoor community and, you know, within natural spaces, but also like within our our local communities as well. So I guess uh, some of the ways that I try to increase diversity on the trail is by being more of a a visible representative of the queer community. And I think that visibility is is super, super important if we're going to increase diversity anywhere. Um, And I know right now we're referring to trail community, but It's important regardless of the context. But if we do want to get more people experiencing, you know, the healing and the growth that for me has been really, um, really predominant when I experience outdoor and natural spaces, then we need more. We need more representation of people from all minority groups in all walks of life. So if I hadn't been, for example, more aware um, of other members of the queer community on long distance trails, you know, prior to getting into through hiking, then I, I might not have known or felt that it could also be a safe space for me that I would be allowed to take up space in and that I could grow and that I could thrive in. So if we can't create, you know, these affirmative welcoming spaces and natural and outdoor spaces, then we can't expect to anywhere else. And, you know, for for allies or for other folks that also want to contribute to enriching diversity and creating safer spaces, um, let's say specifically for the LGBT community on trail, you know, we can work towards things like not assuming other people's personal identity or sexual identity. And there's a big difference between the two. Um, We can, you know, refrain from assuming other people's pronouns and be brave enough to ask people if we don't know, you know, and sometimes we're going to fuck up so we can apologize and make corrections when we do fuck up. You know, we can stop using terminology that depicts anything that's not, you know, heteronormative, um, as bad or as less than you know, we can stand up and we can be vocal about inequalities that we not only observe on trail, but that we're, that we're aware of as well. And I think most importantly, you know, we can stop perpetuating this notion that outdoor spaces are apolitical and challenge each other, have difficult conversations, because that's where, that's where the growth comes. You know, advocacy for minority groups, um, it's, it's everyone's responsibility. So I just think that the bottom line is is that we need to really challenge each other um, and step up to the plate.
14: I totally agree. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this as my wild card episode was as a way to challenge other people to also step up to the plate and really make a difference in this community, which is so important to me. One thing that I've realized in like all my travels and especially being on trail is that a lot of our... Perceptions of reality are just that, just a perception or a point of view. And if you don't have the chance to talk to other people with different perceptions and different points of view, uh, you really don't understand where other people are coming from and you have a very narrow view on reality. Uh, That being said, I got my bro Akuna here who has a totally different perspective. Uh, He comes from a complete different background and deals with... Challenges similar to yours in your community, but also different, so I'd like to hand it over to Akuna where he can talk about uh, diversity and how it's important to him.
16: Hi everybody. what's going on? This is Akuna here, and we're going to talk a little bit about diversity in the outdoors. Diversity in the outdoors is such an important thing that we need to accomplish, uh, and with the more people. That we bring to the table to the outdoor community, the better chance we have of protecting our public lands and making sure that all of this beauty that's out here in nature is still going to be around for the next generation. You know, I started through hiking in 2016. This is my fourth straight season. And I have noticed that, that, that diversity is trending in the right direction. You know, every year I'm seeing more and more people of color, black, brown more women more older people more people from the LGBT community so we're turning in the right direction but we have a long way to go you know the more people we have out here in nature the more people can cannot more people can connect us from different backgrounds different lifestyles different cultures and I've witnessed it myself you know doing a sport where it's a predominantly white male sport a lot of the people I've hiked with over the years have never had the opportunity to uh, really get to know a black male, and uh, you know, just experience things together, and uh, we've had a few actually even tell me this is the the most time they've ever spent with a black male, and uh, you know, has opened their eyes to all kind of different things. So these are lessons that they can learn when they, they they can use when they go back home and interact with different people of culture, and hopefully, you know, that can bring us all together to make this world a better place not just the outdoors a better place, but our society as a whole. You know, I mean, we've spent too many years divided and breaking each other down and and keeping each other separate. I see the outdoors as possibly a, uh, a, a bridge, you know, to close the gap, to bring us all together and, you know, make ourselves a better society. So what I've been doing over the years to try to promote diversity on trail is, i've gotten pretty deep with social media i share all of my trips and my journeys trials and tribulations on instagram i've worked with companies such as uh merrill and put out a film to uh you know get more exposure the more people the more you can see people of color people of the lgbt community women in the outdoors enjoying it thriving the more likely that someone who uh You know, someone who may not have been represented by the outdoor community feels that it's a possible thing. You know, when you see people who look more like you and or gone through the same things that you've gone through or comes from the same background you come from, it makes it an easier thing to jump into because you don't feel like you're the only one. So I've been sharing a lot of my trips and a lot of my journeys on Instagram to hopefully inspire people of color, veterans and um, the underrepresented To uh, get out there and enjoy the outdoors if they feel inclined to. I've also uh, spent time talking to the the youth from uh, uh, big metro cities who never get outdoors and they're predominantly minorities. And I've been talking to them, telling them about my journeys, talking about nature, going on hikes and camping with them, and you know, in hopes of inspiring that next generation. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't have people to take me outdoors or to go camping or go hiking so it became one of these things where it was a world that I wasn't allowed to be a part of because no one I knew was doing it so um, I spend time talking to these this this generation because if you hook them when they're young and you show them that this is a whole world that you are allowed to be a part of that you can't access if you choose to we have a better chance of you know these kids growing up and you know getting out and loving the outdoors and protecting it and i i think that's a crucial part of the the movement for diversity is talking to the youth and showing them that this is a whole world that's out here for you if you choose to be a part of it
17: This is Sarah Duma. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? And guess what? It is day number 126 and I'm in Lima, Montana. Not Lima because that's in Peru. Anyhow, the CDT uh, has been growing in popularity every year. And that's wonderful because that means more people are enjoying the trail and getting to experience uh, these great wilderness areas. But it also can come with some negative effects. And that is uh, the bad behavior of uh some hikers on trail. You know, a few bad apples, spoils everything, you know, that that saying. Well, that is starting to happen. So I wanna talk about that. So uh first off, uh when I was on the Pacific Crest Trail last year, I met a hiker by the name of Jim. He was going by the trail name Medic. And uh, I created a video uh, earlier on this year explaining uh, what happened on the Pacific Crest Trail. Basically, he allegedly uh, kidnapped and abused a hiker by the name of Kira Moon, and um, a terrible, terrible tragedy, disgusting tragedy, and... um, I found out that he was on the CDT this year because other hikers told me they had run into him. So I created this video to kind of inform everybody and keep everybody safe uh, because this is one dangerous and um, terrible individual. So when he was in New Mexico, he was scamming uh, trail angels. Uh, they reported him to the police. Uh, he was also trying to scam hikers. Um, and he's capable of doing... he doing way more than just uh scamming people out of money he's capable of violence he has a history of violence uh he's been in prison and he was also uh subject of an unsolved mysteries episode like like you just look at my video on youtube and you will see what happened so i made this video it went viral it got it got viewed by thousands and thousands of people And uh, the result of that was twofold, or threefold. First is that he got um, kicked off of the CDT by the Sheriff's Department. They drove him to the New Mexico, Arizona state border and told him, don't come back. And he didn't come back. Unfortunately, he went over to California and he's up to his old tricks over there trying to scam people, but don't worry. I'm on top of that. (laughs) I made another update video warning people of that behavior too. And um, the second effect is that uh, the CDT trail angels didn't really have a way of communicating amongst themselves. And so they've now created a secret Facebook group to kind of keep track of negative interactions and bad apples and, you know, any other kind of concerns that come up with trail angeling and uh, providing trail magic along the trail. And if you are a CDT trail angel and you would like to be part of that group, uh, just contact me and uh, we'll see if we can make that happen. The third important thing that happened was that the CDTC now has an incident reporting form. So uh, if there's any kind of problems that happen along the trail, whether it's individuals or groups or anyone can uh, fill out this form and there's some kind of mechanism uh, to ensure people are safe. And that didn't exist before this happened. Uh, also, there... There was a hiker in Yellowstone who did um, some, broke a whole lot of regulations, thermal trespassing, uh, camping without permits in unauthorized places, uh, willfully approaching wildlife and also stealing signs and so that Yellowstone put out like uh, an alert looking for this hiker and that is like embarrassing to the class of two thousand and nineteen cdt cdt community and that was uh, obviously terrible too in uh, Pinedale, there is a church that used to host hikers, but they decided to take that away because there was too many hikers failing to follow guidelines and it made it impossible for them to continue hosting. I wanted to stop in Pinedale and I wanted to stay at that church. Now I can't because of bad behavior of hikers not following the rules. And so, uh, this wonderful, uh, service trail magic to CDT hikers is now gone, um, in the town of Dubois, uh, the Black Bear Inn has raised their prices uh, because of numerous abuses from CDT hikers: uh, room stacking, leaving a mess, smoking, and there's also an allegation that some hikers stole money out of a cash register. I, uh, I don't know if uh, the, you know all these things are true because it is hearsay, but regardless. I I can't believe hikers are acting this way. For most people, this is not their first through hike. You know, like, (laughs) we're not children out here. We're hikers. We're ambassadors for the trail. We're ambassadors for this kind of wilderness journey and and living. And I am appalled that people are acting this way in town. When I get into trail towns, and I've I've been having a lot of fun in Montana, I'm... I'm always happy to answer questions and uh, be, uh, be viewed as a positive person coming into the town, spending money um, in the local businesses and interacting. And I, I want Trail Magic to continue and grow and services for hikers to, to increase, not decrease like they've been doing this year. So I don't know what the solution is, if there's a way to um, hold these people who are doing these bad things accountable or not. But uh, that's that's kind of my my beef for the day. Anyhow, this is Sarah Duma. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? saying so say we all live long and prosper. Bye.
0: That's it for today's show. In our next episode, our hikers check in from the finish line. If you enjoy Trail Correspondence, please do us a solid by leaving a review for the show on iTunes. This goes a long ways to getting the word out about the show. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Today's show was edited by our guy, Pauly Boy Shellcross, who is also the genius behind these badass beats can keep up with the show on instagram at trail correspondence on twitter at through and on facebook at facebook.com slash trail correspondence you can also get a hold of us via email at podcast at the signing off for now happy hiking